When I think about sketchbooks, I think about high school. I, I see that, whereas I see the, the visual journal, it is a work of art in and of itself. So it's not separate from the work, it's part of it. This, this may sound kind of, kind of crazy, but the visual journal for me, it's a place where the images and the words kind of come together. I don't have a separate diary or journal that I write in. I don't have a separate sketchbook that I do drawings. I don't even have a separate calendar. So it's become this kind of everything book for me. David Modler is a maker, scholar, and professor originally from Baltimore, Maryland. Modler currently works as an associate professor of art in the Department of Contemporary Art and Theater at Shepherd University in Shepherdstown, West Virginia. He earned his Bachelor's of Science and Master's of Education in Art Education from Townsend State University and his Master of Fine Arts in Painting from James Madison University. Modler is an internationally recognized expert in the field of visual journals, which he utilizes to explore some of the stylistic, conceptual, and contextual concerns of his research and studio practices. He facilitates numerous lectures and workshops around the world, as well as maintaining a prolific studio practice creating paintings, visual journals, and installations. David and I talk about journaling as a means of creativity. We hope you enjoy this episode of the Design Dedux podcast as we look forward towards a means of normality. Let's take some time out and some time away and just enjoy this podcast. David, welcome to the Design Dedux podcast. How are you? Good to see you. Doing good. How are you, Pete? I'm I'm really well. Excellent. Uh, for our for our listeners, David and I tried to get together last weekend, and we had some technical glitches. Um, so David agreed to come back uh, and talk with us some more. So um, this is new for all all the listeners, but David and I have uh, are kind of recapped and caught up a little bit. David and I taught um, together out at Shepherd University in West Virginia. Um, it's been a few years since that, so it's great to connect mm-hmm. with you again. Yeah. Um, so, what? Tell me your path into education. Sure. So, um, I grew up in Baltimore, and I went to uh, just through the public school, and always took art classes. And I remember getting into high school, and I was signing up. I also played the trumpet at the time, so I had signed up to uh, be in the band, and then okay. I, then I didn't get into the band. Oh, and so okay. uh, I had a hole in my schedule and go back to school. And this is before computers and such. So, you know, you have your little pieces of paper for the classes that you've signed up for. You got to go to the office. And uh, they said, well, there's an art, art one class available. You could take that. And I was sort of like, sure, I like, I like drawing and I've always liked art. I'll do that. So I took the art class. So I always, always kind of laugh with music teachers that I've worked with that this could have went either way. Maybe. I don't know. Um, I could have been a band teacher. I don't know. Um, so <laughs> took art all through high school. And I remember my senior year, I had three art classes, which was not normal. Um, but there was courses that I didn't have to take. And then they were trying to give me all these extra study halls. So I ended up just taking extra art courses. And I had a very, I would say, a very influential art teacher in high school. Um, his name was Ron Zaldivar. And um, I can. I just remember conversations with him about uh, creativity and about making art and about teaching. And he went to Maryland Institute of College of Art for his undergrad. He actually had went to the high school where I went for high school as well. So oh, okay. He came back to the neighborhood where he lived to teach. And <clears throat> the way he looked at art was that you know art was a gift, and that he didn't even think about it as talent. It was just you know you you have these inclinations and uh, these motivations to do these things and and that art was a gift and gifts were meant to be shared that was that was probably the first thing that i heard somebody say about that 
And yeah, that's I, profound. And then I can remember uh, when I started university, uh, I was just an art major and didn't even know what my concentration would be. Oh, and I was probably two years into university before I made a decision that art education was what I was going to pursue. Um, and it mostly happened because I was walking down the hallway and I saw a bulletin board by the art education wing and there was an article on there that said something about art teachers get jobs. And so I read the article and it was all about Baltimore County, Maryland, and how they had reinstated the elementary school art program and had been uh, taken out of the budget for several years and that they reinstated. So they had to hire all kinds of teachers all at one time. And all these teachers were getting jobs. And that just kind of gave me pause. And I sat there thinking, oh, that's a good idea. It's like, I'm going to graduate in two years. Having a job when I get done, that's probably a good idea. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, it was almost as simple as that, that I made the decision. I went and talked to the art ed professor. Took, she signed me up for an art, cor- an art ed course. And she just sort of said that, that was Dr. Jane Bates. And, and she just said that, well, you can take this class. It'll count. No matter what you do, it counts as an upper division credit. So it doesn't matter if this is what you continue to do, but it would still work. And uh, I just remember I took the class. We went out and did some practicum work. And I I, I had that idea of like, I kind of like this. And I think I'm actually kind of good at it. And so I went back and saw my art teacher. I'd go back to my high school, Woodlawn High School, and see my art teacher every now and again. And um and, and I was telling him that I was thinking about art education and I just saw that little smile on his face. And he just said, you know, it's like, all I can say about being an art teacher is that you may never be a rich man. He says, but you'll always be a wealthy man. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that's great. Profound things that I can remember that kind of got me into thinking about this as a career. Oh, wow. Where yeah. did you go for your, uh, for your master's degree then? Um, so I did my um, undergraduate work. Uh, in Baltimore is at Towson State University at the time. I think they're just Towson University now. Okay. And then I also did my master's in art education there. I got my first teaching job in Virginia and was in a public school system, Loudoun County, Virginia. And uh, again, they were they had piloted an elementary school art program, and then they decided it was going to go system wide. So I was just uh, available at the right time. They had hired maybe twenty art teachers that year, and I was one of them. And so I, uh, I moved down to Virginia as a couple hours from Baltimore and started teaching there. And uh, a few years into my teaching, I started working on my master's in art ed. And that was at, also at Towson State University. I had the ability to continue to work with faculty that I already knew in studio and in art education study. So I, I, I did that. Um, and then I had an opportunity during that program to take, to take a year of leave from teaching. So I was five years into my career. And I was able to take a year off, and I didn't. Oh, wow. I did a, a assistantship with the art ed department, and um, I think part of it was I was taking summer classes to get the degree done, and it was just sort of t- seemed like it was just going to take forever. And so I talked to the the chair of the department, and she said, "Well, we do have an assistantship program, and you could come in here work for the department for a year, and probably get this whole thing done in a year." And I said, well, sign me up. He says, well, I already have an assistant for next year, but for the year after that, I don't have anybody. And, and I was just thinking, well, how do I get into that? And, and it was, she says, pretty simple. You just apply to be an assistant, a grad assistant. And she says, when yeah. your folder comes to my desk, I hold on to that folder and I send the rest of them back to the grad school. <laughs> so, <laughs> okay. So I, that's how yeah. I finished the degree. And then I ended up back in, uh, 
Loudoun County for another five years. I'm teaching in public school all over the county, all different kinds of schools, middle school, high school, elementary school, all art. Um, and um, then I moved down to North Carolina and I was in the Outer Banks, North Carolina, teaching uh, for five years and surfing as much as possible. That was my, my big ploy to, to move to the beach. Um, oh, wow. While I was there, I also got my national board certification in, in art which uh, in North Carolina got you a nice raise, like a 20% raise or something. Oh, that so, is nice. So part of it was like, oh, I get more money and I'm going to still do the same job. Why wouldn't you do that? Um, and in a lot of ways, I think of the art ed master's degree the same way. It was like, it gave me a pay raise. And I don't think I really realized at the time what else it was doing for me until much later. Um, and then after I was in North Carolina for, for five years, um, <clears throat> was painting and was having some exhibitions um, around the area, um, Virginia Beach and uh, in the area around North Carolina where I lived. And so I um, <clears throat> started thinking about exploring an MFA program. And I looked at probably a dozen different p possible places and sort of settled on maybe like six different places. But James Madison University in Virginia became the, the one that stood out because uh, it, was, it was basically a uh, assistantship the whole way through. So it was, uh, nice. right when I got there, I'd be able to start doing some work for the schools and did my, uh, studio art MFA focusing on painting and collage, uh, work at James Madison. So that was, uh, 2006 to 2009. Okay. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, we're, we're talking about, <clears throat> and that's a, I don't know. We all have these interesting trips, you know, oh, sure. on, on how we, how yeah. we get to where we, where yeah. we are. Have you always been, um, then, so you did some like, like assistantships and stuff like that. Sure. So as Shepard is where, is that where you started as an assistant or? Uh, so I, I finished my MFA and, uh, was working for James Madison. Um, I was running, the, they had a summer art program for uh, high school students. And so uh, the art education department, I'd done some student teacher supervision for them as part of my assistantship and along with teaching drawing and uh, 2D design, things like that, running the, working in the wood shop, all, you know, you do all kinds of different jobs. Um, and so they uh, offered me some adjunct work for that upcoming year. And I was going to stay in Harrisonburg. And, and work there. But then uh, a friend of mine called me, and she works at Appalachian State in Boone, North Carolina. And out of the blue, it was probably May at the time, and calls me out of the blue and just asked me if I'd gotten a job yet for the fall. She knew I'd graduated. And I, and I told her, I was like, no, not yet. I'm still trying to find something and applying to pub back to public school, applying to whatever. And it was just sort of, you want to come work with me? I'm hmm. like, it's full time benefits. It's a lectureship. And I just like, okay. So I, uh, um, it just, so I, that year I had applied for about 39 different jobs oh, that wow. I found all around. And, and I was also applying, not really knowing how that process kind of works. Um, yeah. A lot of times you yeah. read those announcements and they say what's preferred and what's required and you start to realize that when they say preferred, they mean really mean that that's also required. Um, <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. good, good luck. If you're going to, yeah. you know, there's going to be somebody that's got all of that and it's not going to be you. Um, and also realizing that uh, 
the percentages are not in your favor. It's two and a half percent or something is the last thing I heard that uh, MFAs that graduate, they get full-time jobs teaching two and a half percent. And it's not, yeah, that all it's, of them are, it's not that all of them are applying to jo- for jobs either, but when you start to realize that hundreds of people are applying for the same job, or I applied right. for some jobs where I talked to department chairs and things, and I said, they basically told me like, well, just so you know, you're one of 249 people that put in an application for this. I'm like, okay, I'm okay. a needle in a stack of needles. I'm like, okay, yeah. this sounds great. Um, yeah. And so, uh, I was at Appalachian State for three years as a lecturer, and I was able to maintain okay. that position and then uh, continued applying. Every year I was applying for other things. And then this shepherd job came up, and I read the job description, and it was just one of those things where, um, oh, finally a job where I can check every single box and realize that that's me. Perfect. And, uh, I was from Baltimore. Shepherd's about 70 miles from Baltimore. Uh, so I kind of knew the neighborhood. It, it borders Loudoun County where I started my teaching career. So it's right next to an area that I knew. So I kind of felt like I know the neighborhood. I know the school systems there. I think this could work because I'd have a little bit of local knowledge in a way. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so I applied. Uh, weirdest part of it was the interview. I had to fly to Los Angeles for an interview at the CAA oh, conference. Yeah, I was like, why? Uh, oh, right, right. And I could have just, I'm just for like, so we're all going to fly to LA to talk when I could just drive six hours up the road and we could talk now. <laughs> it didn't make a lot of sense, but that's, right. but also again, not realize this is just the way this process works. Right, exactly. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, so I, I started there in 2012, been there ever since, so I've been there eight years. Yeah. Congratulations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. fantastic. Um, it's changed even in eight years. Oh, definitely. You know, um, you know, higher education is going through a lot of change. I've talked yeah. about that a lot in my past podcasts. Um, mm-hmm. so it's, it's more challenging. I don't think it's quite as competitive, but that's made it harder in a way. Mm-hmm. It, so you, you know, competitive with like between students or competitive uh, with faculty or? well faculty thinking thinking yeah. faculty and um there's there's ju- there's probably just as many people searching and trying to land their land their position and get moving mm-hmm. um but the positions are fewer so i don't know yeah it i definitely think it's changing it probably would mm-hmm. take me you know sometimes <laughs> sit down over a cup of coffee and think sure. about what that looks well, like i've means. been on a few search committees sure, and, uh, too. yeah and i think yeah. At, our, at our university and i think what's a national trend is just that there are fewer students going and maybe fewer students going into the arts as a as an area right. of study um because they're not seeing the uh the residual benefits of that kind of a degree they're just seeing the well, what do you do with that I was like, well, right, right. That's a big um, question. Because you go to school as a, a painter doesn't mean the job you're going to have that's going to make you your living is going to be you're going to be painting in your studio. For some people, it will be. Right. But it might be the kinds of things that you've had to learn and the kinds of things that you've had to figure out the problem solving and such, um, understanding a problem, tackling it and moving forward those skills are going to carry forward into other kinds of careers and right, different, that's the direction different that this genre. you. Right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's a, I think that that's part of it. And I know that our, our student population has declined um, over the time that I've been there and going back mm-hmm. to your initial idea about 
I wonder why there's fewer positions or less uh, in, in certain areas. And I, and I think too, it's uh, like at our school when people are retiring or if there's a, some sort of a cut, it's like they don't rehire. True, so true. Sort of, so if there's fewer jobs because they're like, well, this was extra weight that we needed to get rid of anyway. Um, yeah, we've had a, um, a couple of re- retirements here at our mm-hmm. uh, university uh, faculty and deans mm-hmm. and different things. And mm-hmm. some of them, they're just like, well, you know, in our new vision, our 2025 vision, if you want to call mm-hmm. it whatever they're calling mm-hmm. it, you know, they, they see the chain opportunity for change and adaptation mm-hmm. in that. Also, mm-hmm. our university has talked a lot about um, uh, high schoolers and sure. the, the, the decline in actually the number of students even mm-hmm. um, the the population for mm-hmm. high school age kids graduating coming into college over mm-hmm. the next I believe it's the next five years is on a pretty pretty right. aggressive decline so yeah. that's going to be even tougher for everybody yeah. well um, it, we'll, we'll try to put the uh, the highlight back into the spin sure. of the podcast yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's not all doom and gloom no you um, no, no, no. you so what what amazes me about you and your work is the number of workshops that you do. Um, mm. I, I've known that you've done three or four a year. It, uh, is it more than that? or it, um, It's at least that many. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes more, and it depends on, uh, depends on the, the client, depends on the venue. Um, and so there's, there's been, uh, I just recently did a professional development workshop for art teachers, specifically for art teachers in Maryland and Queen Anne's County. And so that came about from someone I knew, and he taught high school art in the Annapolis area of Maryland. Um, and it was at one point I found out that he actually did his master's in art ed at the same school that I did mine, and that we had the same mentor in that oh, process, wow. and that he was also interested in visual journals, which is a key component to my studio practice, research, and teaching practice. Um, and so we eventually, we just knew, and we both knew of each other but hadn't actually met each other. And then there was a conference that my friend Eric and I were invited. Eric Scott, my co-author with books that I've written on journals. Um, we were invited to come do a presentation in a workshop in Maryland at a state convention. And uh, so our friend, this guy, Michael Bell, who's now a real good friend of mine, um, he came to the workshop. And so like we saw him walk in and we both looked at each other, my friend Eric and I look at each other like, that's Michael Bell. He's looking over and like you just see him smile and wave because he realizes we all we all know each other, but we don't know each other yet. Right, right. And so we really got to talk to him. And then I had a student teacher go work with him uh, from Shepherd. When, once I was at Shepherd, I had a student teacher go down and work with him. Um, and another good friend of mine ended up working with him at that high school for, for a while. Um, and then now Michael is a supervisor for a school system for the visual arts. And so he's oh, brought fantastic. to do some professional development work with his teachers, seeing the need for just, uh, we, we need to keep thinking differently and, yes. and our, and our, our, we can't allow the way we see things just to stagnate or think that, oh, now we know that we can just move forward and continue to do this because whatever this is, is going to change over time. We need to adapt and change with it. Yeah. I think that's so, an important message. Um, mm-hmm. you know, because even design students will ask me, it's like, well, if it's all been done, what do, what do we do? Cause I talk sure. to them about, you know, be careful that you don't just start 
copying someone else's aesthetic right. just because right. they're really awesome designers and artists and you really love what they do. It's great to have those heroes uh, and those people mm-hmm. that you look up to and those inspirations, but you've got to kind of make it your own. Sure. So CC your work is a place to learn. Yeah. 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 So, so your workshops, you know, when yeah. I first met you, I was like astounded. I'm like, how does he, how does he do this? Why, mm-hmm. why is he so successful at it? But knowing some of your background, you know, mm-hmm. your, your process into, you know, your, your undergraduate and your graduate studies, um, it's almost natural for you to hold these things. Sure. And uh, I think it's, it's coming to higher education with a teaching degree and, yeah. with, and with the, the fine arts degree as well. So, um, sort of coming there, having taught public school, you've, you've learned to deal with all kinds of different ages. Um, I've probably taught in, combined with uh, public school in Montessori and then looking at higher ed anywhere from two and a half years old to 72 years old. So I've had a pretty broad range. I've pretty much taught everybody uh, that wants to do this stuff. Um, And so there's, you know, a variety of experiences and you just, you you learn to adapt the way that you do those things. So, um, uh, so some of the workshops then uh, spin out of, yeah, some of those workshops spin out of the fact that, people know like, well, we're not just getting a speaker. We're getting somebody that can do a workshop because the person can teach us something too. Yeah. Um, and uh, working at the university now allows for a little bit more flexibility with when and where you can go and do things. You're not so tied down to that, that nine to five kind of schedule. It's uh, we want, I can schedule a semester in advance that here's two days where my students are working independently because I'm not here. Yeah, and as long as it's professional development, um, it's it's weird. It's uh, it, the 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 university system would see that as you're you're doing something for your professional development. I see it as I'm doing something to develop my profession. Oh right, <laughs> yeah, right, right. At this point, um, but I, I I do a lot of kind. I started uh, back when I was in Virginia, and then in North Carolina, I would always go to the state um, art education convention. Um, every state has an art education association, and then they have their own state conference in the fall and i started attending those and then i noticed that well you could present so it started presenting some different activities that i would do with my students at the conventions um and then uh that led to wanting to go to the national convention which is held every year in a different city uh so back in i guess 2000 and 1999 i went to one in dc and that was like a pinnacle point for me but since 2006 i've been to it every year and I, oh, present, wow. I present there um, on part of uh, a pres- presentations during the conference. Work- I do some workshop stuff during the conference. And then they have some pre-convention workshops. I usually do one of those. And then now there's even uh, a research commission that holds another thing. So I think by getting myself out there and presenting things that I'm interested in, then people want you to come do something. Hey, can you come do something at my school? Can you come do something for my teachers? And so, and, or at the national, I've, I've maybe done keynotes at seven or eight different state conferences now. And I think that's all from the national convention. Somebody sees you there like, Hey, we want you to come be our keynote speaker next year. And so then that just opens up from those that's, kinds of things. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. I just, um, I think I also have the notion in my head that, uh, I, I don't say no to a lot of things. <laughs> And, and that could be good, but dangerous. Yeah. And so, and I think part of my, part of my notion with that right now is 
uh, I'm careful not to do that if I don't have to, because my, my, uh, I guess my fear is if I say no, then people will stop asking. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, that's, you, that's, you just don't know. So yeah, right, right. I do, I do everything I can do. I guess I'll put it that way. Yeah. Um, so, so then I'm going to take us into a, into a, uh, another discussion here, kind of another discussion, kind of branching off the, the mm-hmm. workshops. So those that have, have not met you or have, mm-hmm. don't know you, Dr. David sure. Modler, right? Um, your, the, the thing that people are attracted to is the journaling, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So these are journaling workshops. Yeah. For the most part, they're visual the journal part. workshops, mm-hmm. visual journal workshops. Um, so there's a lot of discussion probably on creativity, which is the mm-hmm, theme for this season's uh, yeah. podcast. Yeah. And I'm also talking design thinking, and I'm not trying to compare the two or put the two together, mm-hmm. but, you know, it's such a buzzword right now, design sure. thinking. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm for it. I'm not for it. Mm-hmm. It needs more explanation. It's not that mm-hmm. simple. Mm-hmm. Creativity. So you've got people coming into these workshops right. with the same, it's like, well, one, you got people coming in that they need a, a kind of reboot the thinking, right? And to kind sure. of re- reboot their creativity. And you got other people that want to expand. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. can you give me an example of, of, a, of a workshop and then your, your thoughts on, on creativity? Sure. So, I mean, the workshops can be anywhere from a half day kind of thing where it's a couple of hours. Uh, just get ideas kicked around and get things started and a lot of the professional development work that I do tends to be that variety. Um, sometimes those are for a full day. Um, sometimes they're multiple nice. days. Um, the conference work tends to be, you know, it's like a, a three hour session or something like that. Um, so it's thinking about how do you compartmentalize enough information to get people uh, interested in what it is the visual journal, and then to think about how they might use it and, and apply it to their teaching um, is usually what the people that hire me and I think the teachers have in mind when, when I come. What I have in mind is I'm gonna, I want to share with you uh, a making practice, um, a, a studio process, and before you even think about how do, I, how do I take this into my classroom, how do I use this with my students, I want you to take it in and explore it as an artist yourself first. So as a maker, it's like, so you've been teaching art in the public school for 30 years or something. Um, I get a lot of those teachers and you you come to this point where um, I know what I'm doing. And it's not so much that you know what you're doing. It's like you've come to a set grouping of activities and you just continue to do the same thing year after year after year. And I don't know many artists that really do that. You know, some, you know, maybe to a degree, but not everything is exactly the same every single time. Um, yet right. that's the way the public school tends to, to teach art. And I, and I see the visual journal as more of an authentic way for students to express themselves. They're not necessarily mimicking the art of others to look, to in a way learn something but they're they're having that opportunity to explore something on their own and how do you teach something that you don't do so one of the things that i run into with public school teachers is a lot of them don't actually still make art for themselves and you have to and thinking of my own background 
I went to school thinking I'm going to be, I'm going to be a painter. I'm going to be, I, I didn't know what I was going to be. I was just, art is what I'm going to do. I don't know in what, in what capacity, but that's what I'm going to do. Um, and I think anybody that's an art teacher, I, I would hope to, to the high, to a high degree, that's how they started out. Um, I don't think they went to school. I'm going to be a teacher and then decided, Oh, I guess I'll teach art. I don't, hmm. I don't know how right, to right. like figure that out, but, um, but maybe some people have, and, and maybe that that's working for them. Um, that's not how it happened for me. So I, I can't, I, I don't know how to guess about that one, but, uh, what, what I have found over time is that, um, it tends to be that they're not making art on their own. And when you challenge them on that, there's, there's a laundry list of reasons why mm-hmm. they're not making art. Okay, and I'm right, like, right. well, you know, did you, did you go see a movie this month? And they're like, yep. I was like, well, you made time for that. You know, do you go to the gym? Yeah. And I was like, well, you're making time for that. It's like, so and you're trying to get them to understand, well, the, the fact that you're not still making is a choice and you're choosing not to do it for some reason, or you're choosing for it to be on the back burner. Um, but my whole thing is sort of a, if a student is struggling with a process and that they're working on, how do you help them with, with that struggle? If you aren't, I think, on a daily basis, confronted with those same kinds of struggles yourself with your thinking process, uh, your design process, your, your, your studio practice. Because if, if you're not, your, your answer is going to start to become a canned response. And it's going to start to sound like you read it out of a book which maybe you did, or Mm -hmm. it's an experience that is from 30 years ago and isn't really applicable today. And then it just becomes where every student's getting the same advice and not every kid's work should be the same, but then it kind of goes hand in hand. Well, then if you start over-directing activities and everybody's making the same thing, well, then it can be. And that's that's what you tend to see. My my best analogy for that would be teaching in Loudoun County for 10 years. I went back there. to visit a friend and I would go to their all, all county art show. They have this big art production. I had worked in this county for maybe eight years at that point, but a lot of the same teachers were still working there. And I go into the mall and I see all these displays of artwork from the different schools. And it just dawned on me that they could take all the school names down. They could take all the teachers' names away. And I could go around and I bet you I could tell you who did what. Hmm. because they're still doing the same thing they did eight years ago. Um, yeah. And so it's just interesting that, that they've come to this set grouping of activities that they've, and, and I think the problem is, is that, that it's really just like an assembly line. The kids are just like in a factory making a thing that, and the teacher's just giving them directions. And one of the, the notions that I always push forward is when you're in your classroom working with your students, are you, uh, is your main concern, are they following my directions or am I helping them find their direction? And I think in art, that's, that's the key is like, what's my, and you were, you were kind of talking about that too. It's like, you know, you want them to have mentors and uh, idols and somebody that influences them, but then it isn't your job as an artist to just try to replicate what that person did, but it would be like, learn from it. And now what do you do in, in response or in collaboration with that, that inspiration yeah. that you're getting? Uh, so in the workshops, um, I do have an activity that I start everyone with. It's very open-ended. It uh, deals with just uh, this activity that deals with the five universal shapes, which is like any good teacher, I've, I found it in a book. And <laughs> so I started implementing it, but then putting my own spin on it and doing some different yeah. things with it. 
And it's just a way to introduce the teachers to some very basic uh, art making materials that are portable. And one of the large components for me with visual journaling is portability. Um, and it just goes back to uh, when I'm in my studio, I've got everything in the kitchen sink to pull from to make my work. But when I'm traveling or you're on an airplane or on a train, you don't have all of those resources at your disposal, nor should you think about trying to bring them all with you. But that doesn't mean that you can't make anything. And sometimes that's one of the uh, items on that laundry list from teachers that the reason I don't make art, well, it's like I'm, I'm, I'm an oil painter. I can't bring oil paints with me when I, when I travel. Like, well, you could bring, there's other things you could work with. So yeah. You're, you know, making a decision. So um, watercolor pencils, watercolor paints, just some basic things in a small little bag. And you can pull that out with a pen or two and you, you can work. You, you can mm -hmm. do things um, to keep the creativity flowing, you know, keep, keep those thoughts moving forward. That, that um, sounds really familiar. Uh, Mina Khalili was one of my guests a few episodes mm -hmm. ago on the podcast. And, uh, she carries her sketchbook around with a little mm -hmm. bag that has some basic tools in it. And yep. those sketchbook series are actually touring on exhibition mm -hmm. at a, at a, a few different galleries right now. And I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm sure they're still going to be traveling from them. So, sure. yeah. Yeah. So I think it's, it's a, it, it's, it's an interesting tool. Um, in my friends in Australia, don't even review, re, uh, refer to them as visual journals. They call them visual diaries. And okay. I think part of that notion is that this isn't you recording something from the necessarily completely from the external, but it's also internal. So it's, yeah. it's your thoughts, your motivations, not just your reactions. And uh, I think that one of the things that along with this opening activity that I do with, with the teachers or whoever's in the workshop that leads into image transfer processes, different ways to work with the materials to prepare pages. Um, things that you can do to manipulate the pages, you know, folds or cutting things out um, so that you start seeing the book in a different kind of way. And um, when I think about sketchbooks, I think about high school. And I, I remember middle school, high school, keep always keeping a sketchbook. And it was always pretty much the same thing. It was whatever the teacher told you to do, that's what you did. And it tended to be mostly a planning space with the intention of like, I'm going to, get some ideas together here that are going to then transfer to the wall to make the real art and that this sketchbook isn't art, that it's separate from the art making in some, some kind of way. Um, I don't know if it ever, I think it worked functioned for me, for me in that way early on when I, I mean, I've been keeping sketchbooks since middle school. Um, I think it functioned for me that way at the beginning, because that's the way I was taught for it to function for me. So I didn't mm -hmm. see I didn't I didn't see how it was supposed to function in any other kind of way, uh, and so I, I see that. Whereas I see the the visual journal um, is is it can be a planning space, but it's also it it is a work of art in 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 and of itself, and so it's not separate from the work; it's part of it. And one of the exhibits I did uh, in the last couple of years, it, I it was entitled "All One Process." And part of the okay. notion with that was there was work on the walls, there was work on shelves, there was work on sculpture stands, there was, there was work hanging from the ceiling. And it was sort of, it had this idea like, well, there's some paintings, there's some sculpture, there's this collage, and there's these books and sort of like, but this is 
my studio process. All of this happens at the same time. It's not like I do this and this happens. But I think in school, um, teachers tend to use the sketchbook as this, you know, thinking space, thought process, but not part of your work. It's not this part of what your work is where I think that if we really want to know what our students are thinking about and authentically assess uh, their process and uh, their growth, that's the place you're going to see it every day. I agree. If if you put them into an activity where they're doing that. Um, And another funny story is like when I was in university, freshman, 19 years old, the, the reason I think about sketchbooks that way, I can remember going into my freshman drawing class and being told, you know, you need to buy a sketchbook and at midterm you turn it in, you have to have 50 drawings in it. I um, want, want it to be working with materials that we've been working with in class and dealing with the same kind of subject matter that we've been dealing with so that I can see evidence of you working outside of class. And mm-hmm. so super excited, 19 years old, got some money in my pocket, go to the art store, buy my big hardbound sketchbook. Cause this is what artists use. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and so I, uh, looked on the syllabus and realized, oh, the, the midterm, it's like October 12th. I'm like, okay, well, I got time. I'll get this done. So October 11th, with maybe a dozen of the students in my drawing class, there we are in the studio making 50 drawings. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so what I realized was that's not what my professor wanted. He wanted me to see this as part of a, part of a process, part of a, the way that I learn and understand the world would be through these sketches that I'm doing outside of these larger drawings. But it wasn't really the way it was propositioned to us. It was just that here's this thing you're going to do, and it's due on this date. So I saw the sketchbook, just another thing I had to do for my teacher. I didn't mm-hmm. see where mm-hmm. it was anything right. really for me. I think the visual journal becomes that thing yeah. that's more for me. And I think that's where the diary kind of note, note comes from. And then I would say the other difference that I see, sketchbooks tend to be mostly visual. They tend to be sketches, mock-ups. Um, very little like reflective writing of any sort. It might be some captions or some directive things, measurements, things like that that we might do, or a schematic of a gallery space or something like that. All of that can happen in a visual journal as well, but also in the visual journal, I can write about whatever I want um, and make images about whatever I want. It doesn't have to be directly related to some other project, but then... Mm those other projects are already related to this because it's all secular. It's all sort of working together. Right. Right. I think it's a place, the visual journal for me, it's a place where the images and the words kind of come together. I don't have a separate diary or journal that I write in. I don't have a separate sketchbook that I do drawings. I don't even have a separate calendar that I keep things marked on all that's in this book. So it's become this kind of everything book for me. Yeah. So it's my, I went back in the day with, of, of, of PDAs, like I'm probably oh, sure. dating myself really badly, <laughs> but way back, I said, you know, I used to say, I was like, this is my PDA. It's, it's, nice. it's I said, it, it's completely analog. <laughs> that, yeah. And, and I will say I had a, uh, a chance to um, visit you at your, at your home when uh, mm-hmm. you were living in Shepherd. And I seen the, literally the wall of journals, the wall mm-hmm. of journals. It was astounding. Yeah. So uh, currently working in number 32 number 32 mm-hmm. yeah yeah so I'm uh, and they're not little transfer. they're not little journals no, i mean i can hold no. this one up yeah for, for those that want to check out the yeah. video 11 by 14 podcast. yeah yeah so they're they're, they're, they're fantastic and so i with within the classroom i get my students to get this size book as well and when I'm they gonna, come back to class yeah I, i'm i'm gonna got, cheat a little bit i'm gonna steal yeah. something from you so i have sure. my students journal 
in every single one of my classes. It's a mm-hmm. weekly assignment. They have to turn it in. Um, but it has been very specific to the task. Sure. So I think now I'm actually going to say, if anything comes to your mind while you're doing the task, mm-hmm. put it in there. Mm-hmm. Put it in there. Share it with me. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious to see where that goes. Sure. And it could just be for every <clears throat> for every page that you're creating that you think is, well, this is for the project. This is specifically for uh, the activity. Um, how about you counterbalance that? Well, this is a page that I just did. You know, oh, like sure. What if, what if, what if you, do, what if you say this, think of it as a 50, 50 proposition, like what, wh- how they might like think mm-hmm. of it that way, what they might do with it. No, right. That one's more free form. And the other one mm-hmm. is more specific mm-hmm. to the, mm-hmm. uh, and then it could be interesting outline. to see how do they start to co-mingle. That's exactly and what I'm thinking. Sure. More, you start to see more of like, well, what, you know, is this, what, what is this student's style? Mm-hmm. You know, is there a style and how do we, how do we know a style is emerging for a student? if the work that we see them doing is already sort of like pre-propositioned pre, uh, for them. Right. You know, it might, maybe, maybe we start to see uh, things that, they're, that they would not necessarily present to us on the wall in the studio for a critique, but we see it in the journal. And it could be one of those things like, you know, I see what you're doing up here, but I think you need to go more with this stuff that's happening right here. How does that build into this? And they may be like, well, that's just like the stuff I do on the side and just trying to get them to see they make that disconnect. Well, this is my school. Yeah. This is my school art. This is my, my art for work. This is just the stuff I like to do. And I'm like, well, why can't they be the same thing? Right not? Yeah. And I, I definitely um, talk about talk to that. So if I add that mm-hmm. in, I think that would be that much more um, uh, important in the discussion. Sure. Because I talk sure. to them about great designers like James Victoria. Mm-hmm. Uh, I talk to them about Ed Fella. Um, uh-huh. And both of those are very, um, I'm just going to use a, a, a crazy word. I'm going to call it scratch oriented kind of, I'm going to throw something on paper and see what it looks like. Sure. Uh, kind of process. Maybe James mm-hmm. would, would, uh, disagree with me. Uh, mm-hmm. but I see that in his work. I see that yeah. he is who he is and he, he takes his aesthetic, his personality, and that's the work that he does. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, and there's a great, there's a great, uh, book that i have it's and it's something like sketchbooks uh by designers and it's all these different uh graphic designers and it, and and what their sketchbooks look like the kinds of things that they do in them and it's that exact thing you start to see schematics for things but then you see all this other stuff in there too like on this the yeah. one that i love there's this one where it's this drawing and i think the guy was an architect and it's like the schematic of this thing he's working on and then next to it is like his shopping list that he has to go to the grocery store <laughs> oh wow so that's sort of great like, you know just that idea like this is all happening at the same time yeah uh, and there's also i saw this great collection of sketches of frank gary's um, i was just gonna say yeah. i've seen some of frank gary's ideation work yeah on amazing napkins. <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> you know, like sketch out on a napkin like yeah. this is what i want the uh, the uh museum building to look like and right and you, picasso's like, look at the photograph yeah yeah, Picasso's, uh, uh, you know, ideation sketches and stuff are fa- fabulous. Mm-hmm. There's actually um, a permanent exhibition in Buffalo, New York at the Perny, uh, Penny Birchfield Art Gallery mm-hmm. of uh, Birchfield's work. Uh, okay. It has a lot of his uh, yep. sketching yep. and process mm-hmm. work uh, mm-hmm. too as well. So why is creativity so elusive for us, David? Why are, why are we so stuck on this idea of like creativity seems to be a challenge? Right. I think it's because we all went to school. (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, uh, yeah, it could be it, right? Because you're, you're, well, I mean, you, think about you're it. told everybody's, how to do it, right? Right. I mean, and, and everybody's had the same experience, basically, at least for 12 years. Um, you, you go to this place for a certain period of time. Um, you're told where to sit. You're told how to sit. Um, you're told what to do, how to do it. Um, not really given much reason why to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Um, and, you know, sometimes it's, uh, then a bell rings and you go somewhere else. And it's the thing that you go to do there isn't necessarily connected to the thing you were just doing. So, you know, we, we, we compartmentalize these in these institutional spaces and we run 12 years of our life through this space. And then we come out the other end and now it's time, you know, especially I, I think university being a place where this happens, it's, it's almost as if the professors there, we expect the students to integrate all of that in, in an interdisciplinary way right from the beginning when it's never been done that way for them previously till that point. And then we're, we're irritated and frustrated with the student because they, don't, they can't do it. And, and I think, too, that um, any, new, any new way that we might process through something, um, if we just try it one time, and it doesn't work the way it doesn't work perfectly the way we want mm-hmm. it. We tend to believe like, oh, it doesn't work. And it's sort of like, well, any anything. If you want, I've something heard to that work, from students. Yeah, yeah. If you want it to work, it's it, it takes practice. And over time, you you figure out how something works for you. Um, I think uh, another thing too, creativity, why it's so elusive is people don't think they are, and it's probably because they've been told they're not. Yeah. And so you know, don't. I mean, just think of the arts in general. It's like, you know, don't, you know, you don't want to be, a, I just was watching like a TV show with my wife uh, the other night. And one of the characters in the show uh, was an artist. And he's like, he's like, uh, he's like, so, so you, you want to get a degree to be homeless? That was like, that <laughs> oh, was man. like the, the yeah. and I'm like, wait a minute, this is a television show. So these are actors. This is an art form. Why would the artists themselves propagate this? you know, very misbelief. Yeah. Misconception. And just like disturbing stereotype of this profession. No wonder people who aren't in the arts don't, don't respect it because, well, how how do you respect, if you want people to respect it, then you have to sort of show some respect for each other in a way. And I don't know if that really did that. You know, they got a laugh, but it's just, well, I've had a conversation with a student, um, um, a little bit ago, I can't remember exactly when it was, but it was it was very recent in the last months, where um, they were like, "Yeah, I don't I don't know where this is going to take me." Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, it's it's not about knowing where it's going to take you because the journey yeah. is unknown. The journey and is I the told destination. Them, yeah, and I, I told them about uh, an episode with uh, Adam Savage in, mm-hmm. on his YouTube channel, where he was interviewing a young girl who was um, working on a TV series set. Um, for a really well-known network, uh, for a really well-known show. And her job was designing all of the visual graphics for Mm -hmm. the entire set. It was kind of Mm -hmm. like a sci-fi space Western or something Mm -hmm. like that. I don't know. I'm probably, probably off a little bit, but that was the idea. But everything that was a graphic design component, it was her responsibility, you know, and she graduated with a a graphic design degree and that was her her profession. So yeah. you, you just don't know where it's going to take you. Yeah. And I've, you know? and the other thing too, is I think that the, the word creativity is, 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 is a pretty loaded word. Um, as far as, uh, 
what, what somebody doesn't think they're creative because they think creativity is this, this sort of like uh, the light bulb went off, the bolt of lightning hit this person and, and that's how they became creative. It was like those kinds of aha mm-hmm. moments where I don't, um, I kind of, even with my students, uh, get them to think of synonyms for that word when they want to use the word creativity. What's another, how do, how do you define that word? It's like, I wonder if, if uh, we've even lost the ability to define what it is. Um, I, I Robinson, believe possibly, yeah. yeah Ken Robinson, a uh, uh, great uh, philosopher in, in education, defines it as uh, original ideas that have value. And, but then I question him with, okay, value to who? Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, well, I think that that becomes part of the problem too, because in school, value to, I guess, the person giving me a grade. Well, what if there were no grades? Then who's yes. value is it important to? Yeah. And so I've had that many times. That notion. So the, yeah. the word, I like the word innovation. You know, is this an innovative thing that's occurred? And getting students to unpack that idea is, is it something that you thought of? Or when you mm-hmm. see this, is does it make you? Is that something that you would like to explore? It makes you think about like, I want to try to do that. I was like, if you see that happening, maybe that was creativity. Right, right. Um, well, I uh, I challenge students in my graphic design history class with this idea. Um, so I would even go back to say, besides the value, I even question the originality of the idea. Sure. So, for example. And with all due respect, because I've met Milton Glaser, I took Shepherd mm-hmm. University yeah. students to yeah. visit with Milton Glaser. Um, such an intelligent, intelligent man with uh, so much wisdom and uh, just, it was, you know, just an amazing person uh, and really well-known in graphic design. Mm-hmm. But I challenge students with this idea, take someone like that, that we, we look up to so graciously uh, and you take his Bob Dylan poster from the uh, 1960, I want to say 68. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you take that Bob Dylan poster and put next to it one of the series from Marcel Duchamp's self-portrait series, mm-hmm. uh, where he does the, uh, Duchamp does a silhouette of himself, mm-hmm. it is an amazing uh, appropriation, if you will, mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. Duchamp's portrait work. Milton changed, you know, uh, changed that up uh, using Dylan's hair style, putting that into the the movement um, in his hair with a little bit of mm-hmm. a, you know, kind of a, a arts and crafts, Art Nouveau kind of flair and vibe to it, you mm-hmm. know, and just put Dylan beautifully at the bottom of the poster. So that may not be an original idea, or is that an original idea? Is it a remix? Mm-hmm. You know. Mm-hmm. So well, I think too, like in our you know. world, it's like I, I heard a great uh, NPR uh, talk about sampling, and mm. so oh, yeah. like that that's a that's a huge thing in in the hip hop industry, and and um, that that basically what generates and regenerates a lot of a lot of music, and kind of taking these snippets and is it copying? Is it stealing? And in a lot of ways, the artists that do those kinds of um, that kind of sampling see it more as as homage. And it's sort of it's like no, I'm, I'm, giving, yes. I'm giving that person their due. That 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 snippet that they have, look how innovative that was. Because look what else can be done with it. And, right. It's and, almost a recognition to the masters. Sure. Yeah. And I know. And I and I think that 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 is. There's nothing wrong with. Uh, 
finding what those things are and thinking about, you know, what is the remix of something? What is the reboot um, of something? Is there, is there something residual from that process that I can pick up and carry on somehow? Or has it, is it, is it all been done? And, yeah. and I think that that's the other notion too, is like, what is there left to do? And I think you were talking about that earlier yeah. sort of with a student, like if all these things have been made, like, wh- what do I even do? Like, well, and then I think getting the students to understand that uh, by going into this profession, that's, that's part of the charge and part of the challenge that you've accepted. Like, right. you're the one <laughs> that's going <laughs> to carry this on. So in my yeah. art ed program, uh, so I, call, I uh, coordinate the art education program for the most part at Shepherd. Uh, also kind of quasi the foundations coordinator and teach printmaking, uh, sometimes teach drawing teach the foundations course. So I get to do a lot of different things, which is what I really actually like that, that I'm not too pigeonholed into one thing. Um, But uh, when I talk to my students about their uh, experiences with, with the classroom or with, uh, with, uh, with their teaching process, trying to get them away from how they were taught. Like don't, it's, it's, it can be interesting to compare and contrast how you were taught to what you see other people doing now and to what you think you want to do in the future. Um, but going back and just redoing what someone did for you isn't necessarily going to be good teaching because how do you know it was good teaching when they did it? True, um, right. And yeah. so uh, we just take it for granted that it must have been. Uh, so trying to get them to see, well, you know, that there's good, bad, and ugly in everything. Yeah. And you, it's up to you as an artist, as a teacher to figure out like what parts of it I, I need to take with me and move forward. So when they're in the classrooms now in West Virginia. Uh-oh, we lost you for a minute here. Teachers. What's that? Oh, I just, your screen froze for a minute. Oh. So I wasn't sure if I still had you with me. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, so it's uh, just letting them know that just because you see that happening in a classroom doesn't mean that that what might be what we call best practice. And as you gain experience through your literature review, through your practicum experience, through your studio process, hopefully you're starting to see what you think is really important and what you think you want to teach these students and that your job isn't, my job isn't necessarily just to prepare you to step into the shoes of that teacher today. Part of my job is to get you ready for that and, rec- and, and, you know, able to recognize what that is, but also to start to have this creative mind to think about, well, what does this art education classroom look like 30 years from now? Yeah. Because I yeah. tell the students, I said, because that's your job because you're the one that's going to need to figure that out. Right. That's so true. So before I ask you um, advice for educators in higher education, mm-hmm. uh, by the way, I've always respect and appreciated the the how you speak to art educators k through 12 and and teaching them and prepping them even that last bit that you're talking about mm-hmm. um beautiful stuff so i can't wait to hear what you have for higher education mm-hmm. faculty mm-hmm. but before i do that i'm going off script okay okay <laughs> tell, <laughs> I get tell me tell me about one of those aha moments during a workshop or in the classroom that you were just like oh my gosh this was Somebody had that aha moment that sure. was just outstanding. 
Sure. So, um, I mean, I can go, I, there's, there's several. Um, That's good. Yeah. And, and I think that those, those moments for me become more fruitful and maybe more, um, uh, I guess th- there's just more of them than when, when I try to move, and this is something I could talk about too with the higher ed uh, teachers, when I try to move my, my teaching practice um, and, and, and make it a little bit more open-ended. And, and maybe even move it a little bit more towards um, what we might call like a laissez-faire kind of way, like anything goes, but it's not going to be anything goes because it can't be. But how close can I get to the edge of that and still hold on to, you know, the purpose of, of what my, 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 my teaching is for? Um, <clears throat> and so I, I can think of one lesson in particular that, that I work with my students now, <clears throat> and it's a, it's a mapping lesson. So we talk about concepts of maps and getting them to articulate to me what a map is and how they, what do we use maps for? What do they look like? You know, what's their purpose? And so they uh, have to bring a map into class with them. As an example, I said, well, and they're like, well, what kind of map? I'm like, well, you decide. It's like a map. What's a map? Go find one and bring it in. So right. somebody might bring in like a map of the university. Somebody brings in like their Rand McNally Atlas. Somebody just brings in a, uh, a printout of a Google search. Uh, So just to kind of show them, look at, I think we can look at this and say, all of these things are maps. So, you know, what are maps for? And we get into discussions about, they show us a location, like where something is. They show us potentially like how to get to a certain place. Um, They might show us how to avoid certain things. Um, And uh, they show us the, the, the relative uh, proximity of that location to other locations. It might show us uh, um, concepts of the, the scale of that space compared to other spaces. So as we start to talk about this, they start to get these notions of like, we're really talking about composition. <laughs> and, and so if all of these things are there, if you had to take your, and it, it could be anything like, uh, one of my do is, is mapping your identity. And um, I give them a survey that they have to look at 12 different what are called identity communities. And there's several questions related to each one of these communities that, that I just say, in your journal, over a two-page spread, process this. Read this article, read these questions, and find a way to answer them. But I don't want it just to be typed out. I want it written down and something else happening with it. Uh, with your art materials, backgrounds, and things like that, so that they have an opportunity to kind of play around a bit. You know, so some kids uh, will be very literal, and it's like I, there is an example that's given in this one book, and you, you're going to get 25% of the students are going to just make it look like what the example looked like because they're in school, and if this is what it says to do, this is what it's supposed to look like. They don't have this, then. You'll get a stu- you'll get some students that do something a little bit different, and then you'll get those students that do something <laughs> very different. So yeah. I would say one of those aha moments would be a student who uh, had some things drawn out in her journal, but then came to class the day before they were they were you know due for you know critique. We were going to look at everybody was going to share what they had done. She says, "I don't think mine's going to fit on the wall," and I'm like, on "Oh the boy." Wall? She said, so we went in, there's another room that's in our photo area that's sort of an exhibition room, I guess, or a studio, a critique room. And it has uh, homosote around three walls. So it's all homosote. You probably have about 30 feet around the space, maybe 40. 
So I took her into this room. I said, is this big enough? She's like, I think, I think this will work. I and I'm sitting there like, I'm like, what did this kid do? Because everybody, you know, and I don't think it's because I articulated it must be in the journal. I think it's the students think, well, we work in this book for a lot of things. This must be where we're supposed to do it. So right. she was one of the first students who was sort of like, well, it's too big. It doesn't fit. And it's like some kids will do just a two-page spread. Some will do four or five pages in their book for this map. And so hers was on the wall. And it went around this space. She had these uh, frames that she, different sized wooden frames that had been sort of attached to the wall. There was a, this background topographic type painting that went around the space. There was these little marks of like what was happening at these locations as we kind of plotted around. And so you had this big thing and then you had these frames spread around with seven, she had picked seven. So the whole idea was you, you, you did this research on 12 different, locations you need to pick five or more okay so again most students they hear the word five they just do five they stop yeah and it exactly. isn't you know trying to get them to understand five or more so she did seven and they were kind of spread around this space different size frames so when you got inside of the frame the detail got a little bit more specific to what she was talking about and then inside each little framed area there was a little envelope and then inside that envelope were was a written response to this idea that, of what this community was about. So mm, wow. for me, that was one of these aha moments where I was like, yeah. this kid's like tapping into something that if I would have been overly prescriptive with the way we were doing this, I said, no, it's in your book, two or more pages. She never would have moved to this other space. And she's not a sculptor. She's not an, she doesn't claim to be an installation person artist yeah um, and she's the, you know I, I guess drawing and painting is what she always says she says but i haven't done a lot of other things wow so I'm just sort of like you know she did that and i was like it's like she's like so what do you think i'm like i i, I don't i'm having trouble understanding <laughs> what i think because i've never seen anything like this yeah um i've never seen this interpretation it was almost in, an installation of it of itself right. just for a project right. yeah right. and so what it did for me with my teaching is it changed the way that I approached that assignment or any of these mapping assignments is that I explained to the students that, you know, this is what you're going to do, but I don't, I don't articulate to them that the journal is the place where it goes. I was like, it can, I was like, but it doesn't need to. So then we get into discussions about uh, criteria and mm -hmm, did you, mm -hmm. you know, and then they always want to know, well, well, what grade am I going to get that kind of thing? Right. I try to move, try to keep them away from that, but because they're in an education program, uh, letting them know like, well, okay, let's talk about that. If, if I showed you this and said, you know, get a starting book and you just did two pages, would you say that that's exceeding the standard? And they're like, well, maybe I said, well, it could be, I said, but it's more or less just meeting the standard. I was like, so it's, it's pretty average. Average is a C. Right. I was like, somebody takes a chance and moves outside of this space and does something like this. It's like, whether it was a not visually great or whatever, it's like, it, it might, ex it might be, you know, something a little bit better because it's like, at least they took a chance to try. Right. And I think that when we were talking about school earlier, um, I think that that's part of it too, is uh, we always talk about creativity and we talk about wanting students to take risks. Yes. Yet, we really don't give them opportunities to take risks because everything gets graded. Right.
and they take a risk and then they fail and then they're like, crap, now I have an F. Now what do I do? And right. Sort of, you know, so giving them that opportunity to see that failure is, an inev- is inevitable. Right. And failure is necessary. Well, even on for, a. To see what success really is. Yeah. Well, even on a, a, a recent podcast with Eric, um, oh, not Eric, uh, Jonathan, Jonathan Baldwin, uh, out of uh, Glasgow School of Art. Mm-hmm. He talked about how we as faculty members are afraid to take a risk. Sure. You know, mm-hmm. so yeah, it's, it's, it's twofold. It's even, mm-hmm. you know, on us a little bit to mm-hmm. take so that, we, take that risk. It's interesting yeah. because I think you, you're, you're probably, you can probably think back and you may still be fairly familiar with the way that our visual thinking course was structured at yes. Shepherd. Well, that's completely changed. Excellent. And so it yeah. used to be where you'd have three professors in the room. And for the most part, what that space was, was a critique space and a discussion space because all the work was done outside of that space, outside of the purview and the view of the instructor. So you never really got to see what the student was doing to come up with the, the products that they were doing, except they would turn in their sketchbooks from time to time and you would see ideas, but you never really saw like them in the process of making it. Um, which I always thought was a little odd. And, and I thought this, this seems kind of strange that they're not making, that I'm not making with them or mm-hmm. that, we're, that, that they're not making in my presence, you know, that I can't see what they're doing. I'm not going to overly direct what they're doing, but that I can't even see what it is until they bring it in. And then, they, and then by the time they bring it in and put it on the wall, then it just becomes, becomes a, a critique and it becomes a judgment of is it good, bad, or ugly? And, and then what grade does that get? And so then the student right. and the professor gets stuck in this space that that's what it's all about. And that course on that campus um, has the reputation of just being like, the, the, it's the course where they, they weed people out. Mm. And I mean, I've had art ed students that have graduated where the only C they had on their entire transcript was that class. Hmm. So that told me like, it isn't the student that's fail that's getting a C. It's us. <laughs> oh wow! Well, yeah, it's it's us that have not exceeded the standard here. We're we haven't we're not doing something. This class has become like a like a penalty or like a um, right of passage know, just, or something. Right of yeah. passage or something that's so artificial. Yeah. Um, and so you know to to purposely point out that a student doesn't know something, and I I don't. I don't I, I just always questioned the validity of that. So I got out of that class after the first couple of years I was there, I found a way to teach something else. <laughs> so then they started talking about, well, we need to revamp it. And just going back to what we were talking about, it's like there were some faculty that were like, well, this is the way we do it. I'm like, well, we, we contend that we're the Department of Contemporary Art and Theater. It doesn't seem like a very contemporary notion to me to continue to do the same thing the same way year after year after year. That's sort of like, actually into you know completely against the, the idea of something being contemporary moving with the times yeah. and so we, we we kind of uh re-theorized that class and i was in on the initial planning stages and then some other things came up and then they were i couldn't meet with the people that were doing it but it was to take this instead of having one big thing let's let's do three separate things so we were talking about what's necessary what's not necessary so we felt like, you know, composition of design was necessary. That discussion, that fairly traditional formalist discussion is still necessary uh, to develop an understanding of why these things work this way. 
Um, but then there's also, you know, color is important. And there needs to be some kind of rudimentary color theory involved here. And then um, just hands-on generative making needs to happen, maybe less sure. purposeful than these other two things. Um, and I read a great article uh, about two years ago, and it kind of got me back into this foundations course. Um, it was just about how um, that the foundations course, these are kids, freshmen, 19 years old, coming to university, um, art school for the first time. This should be, and our, our goal should be that this is a life-altering experience, that this isn't 13th grade. This isn't just, you know, the ne- your next level of art. No, this, that this is an introduction to a completely different way of thinking. And that, yes, you, you, maybe you were the art star at your high school, but now you're in a class of art stars. And, right, right. And, um, you know, now this is really the space where you're going to grow and giving them canned projects that have been going on for 20 years. I don't think, I, I think it was just getting to a point where it's just, it's just not doing what it's supposed to do. And then you also had too many voices in the room that yeah. uh, you, you can't hear all those voices at once. And then the voices, even though we're all talking about the same assignment, start to be sort of contradicting each other, which then again, for a 19 year old, completely unhelpful. Oh um, yeah, definitely. And you know, it's like, and you know, those problems start to start to happen there. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm familiar with that as well. I mean, I do agree with team teaching. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, I, yeah. do, I do, I do agree with I love. Yeah. yeah I, I do agree that. with, um, like for our seniors, we have critique, you mm-hmm. know, and we have all the faculty in a room critiquing yeah. one at a time. Yeah. Um, that's where it starts to get dangerous, you know, cause mm-hmm. you do get, you know, 15 oh, different wow. opinions or however many faculty sure. might be in that but room. They're, but they're seniors. Yeah. Right. 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 So they should be able to think point, about well at that point, the variation. The, you know, and what I tell them, all my art ed students will come to my 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 entry level art ed class because they take that at the same time that they're taking this visual thinking. And prior to some of these changes that we implemented last year, um, they'd come in and, and you could just see them like they're just demoralized. And, mm. and and they would you know, and then I start hearing the conversations. I'm like, what are you guys talking about? Oh, visual thinking yesterday, blah blah blah. And they'll they'll go on a tangent. I'm like, well. Well, what, what are you doing? And then they would explain. I was like, well, what's the assignment? Well, this is, and I was like, well, let me see the assignment sheet. And I look at it, I'm like, so you're talking about doing this, but that's not what this says. The assignment says to do this, and you're talking about a whole other thing. Well, the one professor started talking about blah, blah, blah. So I thought mm-hmm. that, no, your job is to read this, interpret this as an artist, and create something that you think is an expression that's a residual outcome of this provocation. That, yeah. Not to listen to, you know, whoever it is that's pontificating and going off on a tangent that makes no sense and trying to figure right. out how do I make that? Because in your, I said, the problem is in your mind, you're in school and I have to make it so the teacher likes it. I was like, that's yeah. not your job to make that person like it. I was like, that's not your job. And, and so in critique, you know, talking, well, he's the one that's going to give a grade. I'm like, sure. But in critique, it's your critique. If you put work on the wall, it's your critique. And then if it's your critique, then it's also your job to listen to what everyone's saying. But it's also your job to take the parts of that discussion that are applicable to you. Because not everything everyone says is, is applicable. And some of it just needs to not be listened to at all. 
And You're right, right. this idea that, well, the teacher said that, I'm like, oh, I don't care. It's, <laughs> it's, it's what do you think? And yeah. I'm going to be, I'm going to be maybe even more interested in that student that I give critique to in a painting class and then continues down a path that I'm like, well, why are you still doing this? It's like, and if they can show me that this is a worthwhile direction or they don't, if they show me, they don't give up. I was like, that says something too about their persistence and that yes. they think they have a line of inquiry that they're trying to follow. And maybe it's like, I just don't see it. And maybe that's, again, maybe that's my problem. <laughs> Not their problem. <laughs> right. Could be. Hey, um, as I'm, as I'm watching the time on our, on sure. our episode here that we have left, you've done two th- amazing things for me that, you know, I, I've discussed with you pre-show. You've given us some really great, um, uh, feedback for design educators advice, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And you've just given us some really great advice, even for students, which are the two things that I like to ask, uh, as I get close to concluding the podcast. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So a- as we get narrowed down to the last couple of minutes here, would you add anything else to that? Um, advice for students? Do you have kind of like that one little elevator speech wisdom moment that you like to throw at them? Right. Well, I, I guess too, I, I mean, this, this may sound kind of, kind of crazy, but um, you know, these students are at the university. They're for the most part, they're paying money or somebody's paying money for them to be there. Uh, and as far as I know, nobody's holding the gun to their head and saying they must go. And so when I start to hear students, you know, really griping or complaining, I try to explain them like, you, you realize that you don't have to be here. I'm not telling you not to be here because I really think this is where you should be. I'm not telling you that. I said, but take some ownership. Understand right. that, that, that this, is, this is your program of study. This is your degree, not mine. I've done this a dozen times. I think I've told you about it. <laughs> I'll take a kid. I'll walk a kid out of the classroom up to my office and say, look, here are my degrees. And I will point up on the wall. Here are my degrees. I already did this. What you're doing in class, it's not for me. It's for you. I've already done it. I've already gone through this. I'm just trying to lead you through this in the best way that I know possible so that you're prepared for what it is that you're going to have to do when you get out into the world of, of art, but also that you have at least some inclination of vision of like what else can happen. And it's yeah. like, that's, I feel like that's what I'm doing now, but you're going to have to do that too. And if you're only going to look at this as this piece of paper, I mean, I can go to Kinko's and photocopy one of these for you. <laughs> that's all that this is about. Right. And I said, but you know, it's, it's time. And, and with the, with these particular students, I said, I really think it's time for you to take some ownership of this. This is for me. This is what I want to do. I'm not doing this for anyone else. Um, because if, if you're still stuck in that notion of school, that this is, this is what you do. It's like, it's like you're, you're in the wrong place. And a lot of the, I, I still feel that uh, some of the faculty that I work with, don't get that <laughs> yeah yeah that's yeah there's 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 still a lot of that going on and mm-hmm. and you know what i hope that we can do is we can bring that that change and we can bring that sure. new new way to look at things and mm-hmm. um that's why i love having you on the podcast uh, i yeah. like the way that you look at things differently and, and you approach it um from an angle that not too many of us have that opportunity to kind of come at it so mm-hmm. um everybody out there i encourage you to to 
consider David to come by and give a workshop uh, sure. and, and talk about journaling and process and and uh, thinking at this this thing called art and design and mm-hmm. elusive creativity in a different way. Mm-hmm. It's been great having Definitely. you. It yeah, has been to talk great to you. Having it's been too you. long, yeah. too yep. long since we've just been able to sit down and chat. So I hope it, we can it do has. it again. Yeah. It's not a podcast. We can do it again, again sooner I, yeah. than later. Yeah, I agree. And what I say after every podcast was, man, we could talk for another hour, two oh, hours, or three hours. We definitely could. We yeah. definitely could. So, um, so again, like I say, also, yeah, I'd love to have you back on the podcast oh, uh, to continue more conversation. That'd be fantastic. Would be. But, it's been great. I appreciate us catching up and, and uh, having the podcast conversation. And I will find a way to get a hold of you non, <laughs> <Sounds> <laughs> non-podcast. Sounds David, great. take care. Okay, I will. Uh, Thanks a lot, Pete. You bet. Yep. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us for this episode. The Design Deducts podcast can be found at designdeducts.com. That's D-E-S-I-G-N-D-E-D-U-X.com where you can listen to the podcast or watch the video version of the podcast, as well as find links to the guests and the topics discussed during each episode. The Design Deducts podcast can be found on most podcast listening platforms. You can join us on social media through Instagram and Twitter via at design underscore deducts on Facebook as Design Deducts Podcast and join us on YouTube at Design Deducts for video versions of each episode. If you are enjoying the podcast, you can show your support on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash design underscore deducts. Once again, thanks for joining us, and we hope you'll join us again for the next episode.